It is not a surprise to anyone. I think everyone knows that Christmas and Easter in the Christian calendar would be considered the holiest of days. And I wonder why we make such a big deal about Christmas. And Easter's not that big a deal. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever tried to analyze that? Christmas, you know, Christmas season starts, it used to start after Thanksgiving, right? Black what? Okay, you shoppers. Black Friday, yeah. Now it's like Halloween. Christmas commercials, stores start. I mean, it, it, Christmas is kind of a big thing we get ready for. There's extended parties, all kinds of dinners. There are gift exchanges. There are the decorations that come out for a few weeks, and then you got to go up and put them back up again. We have these fancy lights that we string everywhere. And and then there's the ugly sweater things, you know. I mean, Christmas is a pretty big deal, right? And it's all about the birth of Jesus, and it, it should be a big deal. And then it comes to Easter. Let me kind of walk you through your celebration. You know, we had a lot of, there were hundreds out here yesterday egg hunting. And we had an Easter cow and an Easter llama and an Easter sheep and goat. We even had an Easter skunk, you know, in our little petting thing. And a lot of fun, a lot of action going on there. But usually our Easter celebration, we, we wake up in the morning and there's a basket full of stuff. Nothing really pertaining to the real Easter story, but stuff. And Sometimes we actually paint or get eggs ready and we lose them in the backyard. I mean, that's kind of the plan. And then we maybe get a new outfit. You know, it's Easter and there's sales and stuff. And we try to squeeze church in and carve out an hour for that. Then we usually hang out with family for dinner. And by 3 o'clock... Easter's done, it's in our rear view mirror, and off we go till next year. I mean, isn't that the way we kind of do it? It's kind of weird. And I I really don't think you can separate the two. Really, the three. Because we have the birth of Jesus, and it's connected. Last week we spent all day walking around the cross, the crucifixion, exploring what that really meant, what that was really like, what that was really all about. And today we, we look at that empty tomb, and it begins to have significance. I don't think you can really understand Christmas unless you understand the cross. I don't think you can really understand the Christmas and the cross unless you understand resurrection. So they, they, they all kind of go together. Anybody here receive an Easter card this year? Not so much. I mean, we, we kind of do things a little bit differently. Several years ago, a 14-foot bronze crucifix was stolen from the Calvary Cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. It stood in the cemetery at the entrance for more than 50 years. At the time of its placement, the cross was valued at $10,000. That's a lot for back in that day. The thieves apparently cut it off at its base and loaded it up into their truck and hauled it off. And the police think they probably sold it as scrap and got 450 bucks. 
when I saw that story, I thought, you know what? I don't think those guys understood the value of the cross. Guess what? I don't think we understand the value of the cross. And hopefully as we were at Calvary last week, you will understand the significance as we embrace this thing called resurrection. I almost feel like one of the greatest communicators of all time. Not from my ability, but for what I'm going to say, okay? And now for the rest of the story. And here we go. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the most successful trial attorney in the entire world, Sir Lionel Lukou, he succeeded in getting 245 consecutive murder trials acquitted. In January of 1985, that's when he hit 245 consecutive trials. 245 consecutive murder trials, either one or before the jury or one on appeal. So I would suspect that he's a pretty intelligent personality, very good analytical skills, a world-class expert on what constitutes reliable, admissible, and persuasive evidence. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to understand his perspective about resurrection? Well, we can today because he, like so many, have tried to prove it wrong. And he considered it a personal mission to research and study and attack this thing called resurrection. So he went on his own spiritual journey. Here is the conclusion of his findings. Let me just read this for you. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for my doubt. And him, like all the others who have tried to prove this false, he became a follower of Jesus and repented of his sins and was baptized and began to walk in newness of life. I have two friends that are going to be baptized second service. They're going to begin their walk in newness of life. On a historic day, kind of confusing day, because we're not sure when this day falls every year, are we? Is it early Easter or late Easter? I hope it doesn't interfere with our Holy Week, spring break. That would really upset people. So we're still trying to figure out that whole thing. And we live in a day where we don't expect dead people to come back to life, do we? The most successful attorney of all time concludes that the facts are the facts, and by the hand of God, the reality of resurrection is genuine. The evidence proves that he went to the cross. The evidence proves that he died on the cross. The evidence proves that it was not a myth. The evidence proves that on that third day the tomb was empty. Witnesses of the resurrected Christ total over 500. Some were to people that knew him while he was here intimately, the apostles and friends and 
to other strangers and during that 40-day period before he ascended, over 500 people came in contact with the resurrected Jesus. However, the cross shook the church. Their dreams, gone. Their leader, dead. They were confused. They were afraid. They had doubts. He spoke of a new life and life more abundantly, but now he was dead. How does that work? He had promised a new kingdom, but kings don't die like common criminals. He spoke of God as if he were his father, but when it seemed that he needed his father the most, his father didn't show up. How foolish they had been to give up their dreams and to immerse themselves in a dream that wasn't to be. He was dead and with him everything he stood for. And maybe they felt that way. I mean, after all, it was a horrible, horrible few days. I have a friend who told me that their children were doing an Easter play and his son wanted to be the stone in front of the tomb. Pretty big part. They may have called him Rocky or something. I don't know. I guess he was a pretty gifted little kid and the director did not want to have him in a non-speaking part, but he stuck to his guns. And during the play, when he moved out of the way, he said... It felt so good to be the one that let Jesus out of the tomb. And now for the good part. I want to go to Matthew 28 today, 10 verses. Before we land there, I want to kind of talk you through Matthew 27 towards the end of that chapter. The history of the moment, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had watched in horror as the lifeless body had been taken from the tomb and put in a borrowed grave late Friday. The women had stayed close to Jesus during his death, during his torture, during his crucifixion, and they stayed close as Joseph and others took that body and laid it in the tomb. They wanted to see a proper burial, and Pilate obliged. They wrapped the body in linen and placed it in a tomb, and they watched as that big stone, and we've seen the stones, haven't we? Huge stones. As it was rolled in front of the tomb, and then it was sealed because there was rumor that he would rise again, and they wanted to be sure the apostles or someone didn't come and steal the body and continue, could I be so bold, the April Fool. Knowing that Jesus who had given them new life, was now gone. Which leads me to Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, it was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. 
The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know what you are looking for, Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and go ahead. Is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him. They clasped his feet. They worshiped him. Then Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. There I will see them, or there they will see me. I mean, how many times have we heard that? I mean, over and over again, there's so much going on here. I want to kind of tear it apart and walk you through it, and then I want to give you three takeaways today, okay? Because I think it's so important to connect the birth with Calvary, with resurrection. It has nothing to do with chocolate bunnies, even though they have their place has nothing to do with baskets and peeps or colored eggs or jellied beans. has nothing to do with that. But they have their place as long as you connect it to the real, real story. In verse 1, the Bible says that the Marys went to the tomb very early in the morning before dawn. Now, why is that? Has that ever, ever bothered anyone? You know, most of us, we don't like to do anything until the 10th hour. <laughs> Have you ever had a bad week? Couldn't really sleep much? Bad day, bad couple days? So stressed, so anxious, so frustrated, so, I mean, you, you couldn't really sleep. Have, have you ever not had very good sleep? I'm willing to bet that that may be been part of their problem. They saw their Lord, their friend, die horribly. They saw their world come crashing down, and maybe they just couldn't sleep. Or maybe they didn't like crowds. Anybody here a big fan of crowds? Can you say the fall festival? Where did those people come from? You know? All for a pronto pup, get out of here. Maybe they didn't want to be around the crowds, or maybe they were afraid. Maybe they thought if they took their Lord, their Savior, maybe they could be next. So maybe they just wanted to go at night when it was still dark, early in the morning, and kind of do their thing and go home. I don't know. If they had not have gone... Do you think that would have ended the story? No. They would have just missed out on a piece of history, right? Jesus would have still risen. The tomb would have still been empty, but they would have just missed, missed it. Any, anybody here ever feel like you just missed it? I mean, if you'd have been a little bit quicker or a little bit sooner, maybe a day late and a dollar short, maybe that's your... But they were there. The sacrificed 
would still have been made if they had not come. The resurrection would have still taken place. They would have just missed out on a moment. Verse 2, this kind of cracks me up. An angel shows up. Did, did you catch that? And, and, and you know, I, I think all the angels were at the edge of heaven watching this thing unfold. Hands on their sword, ready to go. The Bible tells us a few verses earlier that Jesus could have called down 10,000 legions of angels. You know how many angels are in a legion? Around four to 5,000. 10,000 units. In a heartbeat. But if we go back to last week, the Garden of Gethsemane, was that part of the plan? You know, we'll get you there and we'll get ready to go and then we'll send in the cavalry. The Marines will come. The angels will come. Wasn't, there was no plan B. You go, you die. They bury you, I rise you up. And finally God says, he calls one angel. And, and can't you just see this kind of like the Barney Fife kind of guy, you know? Okay, I'm ready. Give me five minutes, five minutes down there. I will teach those people who you are. Just give me five. Leave your sword here. I want you to go down there and move the stone. And I want you to deliver a message. Seriously? So we find him. The stone has been rolled away, which ought to tell you something about the might, the strength of angels. And he's sitting on top of the stone, just hanging out. Some place in the back of my head, I can almost see him whistling, oh, when the saints go marching in. Okay, maybe not. Maybe that's taking a little bit of liberty with the text. The Bible says that his appearance was bright. It was intimidating. And when the Marys came, when they saw him, they froze in their tracks. I think I would freeze too. Anybody here ever talk to an angel? Don't tell me your kids. I ain't making it today. Don't tell me your wife. That ain't, don't tell me. I haven't. I think if I would converse with an angel, that would be a little bit unnerving, don't you? Just to see one. A little bit unnerving. The angel says, hey, 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 hey. Don't be afraid. Who you are looking for, he's not here. He has risen just like he said. And then it starts coming back to them. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember when he talked about resurrection? Remember when he talked about the Son of Man? It's all starting to make sense. Man, if you read this in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 7, he talks about the grave clothing. And I think this is significant because it meant something to the Hebrew culture. The Bible says that the grave clothing and the napkin, the Bible says, the cloth on the face of Jesus was laying there folded neatly. Okay, so Jesus was a neat freak, right? So he tidied up after himself, right? So we should all make our beds, right? Had nothing to do with that. You see, in their culture, it had everything to do with a master and a servant. 
It was the servant's responsibility to get the table ready and to make all the preparations. And they kind of stood off out of the way while the master and family came and ate. And according to their culture, if the master got up and threw down his napkin, his cloth, if he watered and threw it or whatever, he was done. However, if the master got up for any reason and he folded his napkin, in their culture it meant he was not done, but he was coming back. He had unfinished business, wanted some more taters, whatever. So in the Hebrew tradition, the folded linen cloth is impactful. It means he's coming back. He's alive. And when he comes back this time, he is coming as a warrior to take his people to be with him forever. So a lot of dynamics going on in this piece of scripture. So the angel delivers his message and it was kind of a different message, I think. I don't know if I'd have been that kind. Let's put you in Jesus' place and the 12 guys that you hung out with, the 12 that you were so close to, when you were at your deepest, darkest moment, where were they? Peter. Peter, the rock, remember him? I'll die for you. No, you won't, Pete. It won't happen. You're going to die me deny me three times before that rooster crows. No, no way. The Bible also tells us in the Gospels that there was one moment when Peter denied Jesus that their eyes met. How do think Peter felt? Anybody here ever deny Jesus? By the way you live? By the way you talk? by the places you go, the things you do. Have you ever been on the wrong side of the Savior? You know the good thing about resurrection? We have hope, we have grace, we have mercy, we have forgiveness, don't we? Anybody here deserve that? Let me help you. No, none of us do. But because of resurrection, we have that. My message to the 12, are you with me? You guys blew it. I don't need you anymore. Now I'm going with the B team. In fact, you guys, you're dead to me. Okay, that's me. You don't have to love me, adore me, worship me. <laughs> I think that's maybe what I would have thought. Jesus says in verse 10, Tell my brothers that I will see them. And first time ever he referred to the apostles as his brothers. Tell those knuckleheads I'll see. Tell those goofballs. First time he had ever referred to them in an intimate way, he called them brothers. Even after they did what they did. So in verse 9 they had the message. Jesus told them to go tell the, or the angel said, go tell the guys and the women. The Bible says they, they, they hurried away. They ran away quickly in fear. 
and joy, I think I would have run too, right? Did I leave out the part about the whole earthquake? Holy cow, a lot of stuff going on, moving and shaking going on. Talk to an angel, see an empty tomb. Go tell the boys, okay. Tell them I'll see them. Okay. And then I think this is interesting. Because the Bible says in verse 9 that Jesus came to see them. So did the angel not have his message right? You tell them, I will see them. You go. Here's what I think happened. I think Jesus saw that the Marys were so confused, afraid, distraught, frustrated. So he just wanted to go. So he appears to them, and John says he calls them by name. This piece says, he just says, greetings. They didn't know who he was until they heard his voice. And then did you see what they did in the text? They ran, they fell to his feet, and they began to worship. They began to do church right there on that dusty road. I think because of the love that he had for his people, he saw that it was a little bit too much. So he went to gather them in. Isn't that what a loving dad does? Loving mom? When their kids are a little bit out of sorts, they grab them. When you fall down and go boom, who makes it better? Mama? She just kisses your owie? Plug your kids' ears. That doesn't help. Medically, in fact, it's probably worse. You're probably getting germs and bacteria on that wound. But mentally, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? To be in dad's arms. How many times did you fall asleep in the car and wake up in your bed the next morning? How'd that happen? Well, your dad picked you up, carried you into the house. Maybe he didn't put your jammies on you. But he laid you in bed and covered you up. That's what dads do. Just get my dad here, I'll be okay. So I think there were some dynamics going on in that piece of scripture. Here's the three takeaways this morning, and then we're, then we're finished. I think the first thing these women discovered, I don't care how I slice this and how I analyze this, they discovered that God was still in control. And you know what? He still is. I don't care who you are, what you're going through, my God is still in control. No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, and he will be in control even when his son Jesus comes comes again. God will always have the last word. And even when they saw Jesus on the cross, even when it looked like evil had won, righteousness had been defeated, That which was holy was gone forever. It was not. He wasn't finished. He had obeyed his father, but he still had some work to do. God is still in control. And then he, today, the second thing that I think this piece reminds us of, the women discovered that death had been defeated And isn't that a promise that we have? The angels spoke. They began to remember the teachings of Jesus 
On the third day he would be raised. And that's a promise for believers that a day will come when we will all be raised again. In fact, Thessalonians says, encourage each other with these words. A day will come when you will see your your spouse, your soulmate, your lover again. A day will come when you will see your mom, your child, your grandparents. Your It's going to happen because the Bible is the book of truth. So the women began to understand that Jesus had died. His friends confirmed it. Strangers confirmed it. Enemies confirmed it. Authorities confirmed it. But God is still in control. Death had been defeated. One final message I think we can capture from this scripture The angel told the women, go tell. Go tell the others the good news. Let them know. Let them know what has happened. And let us know that no longer are we mere observers, but we are active participants in resurrection. I mean, you can't separate these three dynamics Birth, crucifixion, resurrection. I mean, that's our hope. That's the promise. That's why we live and do the things that we do. It's all because of Jesus. He can take your broken marriage and make it better. He can take your broken body and make it better. He can take your financial issues, your struggles and make it better if it is his will. And maybe sometimes we just need to learn to pray, Father God, if this is your will, make it happen. If it's not, just help me accept your perfect will. Man, that's a hard prayer to pray. It's a tremendous story. Almost too big to tell. So I gotta ask this question and then we're done today. What does Easter mean to you? Some candied eggs, some jellied beans, some chocolate, maybe a new outfit or two. A token appearance in church. You see, there are too many people who try to celebrate Easter without Calvary. And you can't understand the empty tomb unless you understand what happened on the cross. And you really can't understand the purpose of the cross and the empty tomb unless you understand the birth. You see, they go hand in hand. The three amigos. A mother and her daughter were driving across town and the little girl was, was bored and she was, she was counting the crosses on the top of churches. She said, hey, mommy, how many times did Jesus die? Mom said, honey, he just died once. She said, why why are there so many crosses? And her mom said, they don't ever want us to forget. God forbid we as a church ever forget the importance of the birth the cross, the burial, 
and the resurrection. So I don't know how you celebrate Easter or what you're going to do today. There's a place for everything, but remember to attach the rest of the story. It makes all the difference in the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, your house, your place, your time. We thank you so much. Jesus, we thank you. For-